want to ask you, if you would, to open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I, I want to give you a heads up just to, to help you out. Several, you know, I, I can look at the room and of course I stand here, you know, week after week. And so it's easy for me to notice those of you that are here that are not always with us. And so I want to welcome you and tell you I'm glad you're here. I also want to point out something about you being here. Some, some of you are, are here because of, uh, of family and friends that you're visiting from, from uh, out of town. But, but a lot of you, listen, here, here's the thing. You're here on Easter and you won't be here or you wouldn't have been here last week. You wouldn't have been here the week before. You wouldn't have been here any other week, but you're here on Easter because for whatever reason, you feel like you ought to be here. And I want you to know that is just a gift from God that you have that feeling and that whoever invited you had that desire to ask you to come and I'm glad you're here and I want to give you a heads up on what we're gonna do this morning. We're gonna look at one verse. We're gonna look at a verse from 1 Corinthians 1.18 and then we are gonna watch it be illustrated from a story in the Old Testament. And in doing that, I hope we see what is at the very middle of your outline. If you, if you open up that outline there in your worship guide, that you'll see really the goal today, what we desire you to see and feel. And it's this, that our only hope, that your hope and my hope, our only hope is found in the seemingly foolish message of Easter. That your only hope is found in the seemingly foolish message of Easter. Listen to God's word, chapter one, verse 18. This is the word of our God. For the word of the cross, and you could say it this way, you could say the message of the cross or the preaching of the cross that Jesus died in our place. For the word of the cross is folly or it's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the power of God. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would do what only you can do. In the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for the glory of the Father and for the good of us who are here today, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear the Christian gospel from your word, we pray, amen, amen. So what I wanna ask you to do now is now that you've seen this scripture here in 1 Corinthians 1.18, that the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us, who are being saved is the very power of God. It's the wisdom of God. Now that we see that, I want you to, you can hold your place there if you want to or whatever you want to do. Flip over to the Old Testament, the book of 2 Kings chapter five. And listen, if you don't know where that is, it's okay. A lot of people around you don't know where it is either. And we have a table of contents. And so flip to that. Uh, we could say God gave that to us too, okay? So flip to the table of contents, look where Second Kings is and go to chapter five. And we're gonna look at a story that probably a lot of people have never heard before. It's a story about a man named Naaman. 
Naaman the Syrian. Once you get there, I want us to read the first verse. And uh, so when you, when you get there, kind of look up at me. There we go. Okay, I got people looking. All right, here we go. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. Here it is, chapter 5, 2 Kings, verse 1. We're told in God's word, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a man, he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. When I was a kid, I remember hearing that the first time and being really confused on how that guy turned into a leopard. You know, like I just didn't make any sense to me. He's a, a leper. All right. And, and, and by the, the Hebrew word here is actually kind of hard to interpret. Uh, it may not have actually been leprosy, but we know it was an awful skin disease that this man Naaman could do nothing about. He couldn't do anything about it. So what we see here is this, Naaman is a man who has money, Naaman has power, and he has fame. He appears to have the respect of his peers. He has the respect we, we see of the king. He's held in high favor, high esteem by his king. <clears throat> He's a man who will find out in just a moment. He has a wife. We believe he had a family who, who apparently cared about him. Uh, he was a man who I would imagine if we knew him that we would be able to say there's a lot of things about this man's life that we ought to imitate. He's successful. He's a hard worker. He, he's somebody that we can in a whole lot of ways look up to. But the way that this is written is for us to get all of this goodness about name and all of these accomplishments, all of this cred. And then there's the phrase. He had all of this stuff. He had everything going for him, but he had leprosy. He was a leper. Now, I want you to see this, that like Naaman, look at number one in your outline. We have a problem that we can't fix. We have a problem that we can't do anything about ourselves. And for us, according to scripture, listen, it's actually worse than you think it is. See, Naaman knew that he was sick. He knew that he had a problem and he couldn't fix it. Like Naaman, we have a problem that we can't fix and it is actually worse than we think it is, according to the Bible. Now, I wanna be, just get right in your personal space for just a moment. I don't believe that I have to convince you that you have some sort of issue in your life that you have a problem. The, the nine o'clock room was, man, it was basically filled. I saw people nodding the whole time at this statement. You're here today and for many reasons, but it at least shows me this, is there something that you know about you or there's something that somebody else knows about you that you're not what you ought to be and the world's not as it ought to be? Let's just think about this for a second. I believe there are, there's probably maybe several, but couples in this room 
who, if you were honest, your marriage is up or it's up and down. You're struggling in your house. And at some point, somewhere in your head, you said something like this. We ought to be in church. It's Easter. Let's go. We need church. We need the Lord. We need something that we can't get at our house. We need to come. I want you to know if that's you, we're so glad you're here. Welcome to Alberta Baptist Church today. But I want to be very clear. Being at church won't fix your problem. I believe that there are some of you who you may have kids in your home, you're raising children. And look, I've, I've got three little girls at my house. I got a little boy that can be here any day. And trust me, I know it's hard to raise kids. And at some point in our raising kids, man, there's this default that we have that says, man, we need our kids to have something else, something we can't provide them. We need to go to church. We need religion. We need to, we need to do something. They need the Lord. Because you know that something's not as it ought to be. For some of you, listen, you got a mama, you got a daddy, you got a grandparent that they've been asking you, would you come with them on Easter Sunday? Would you come? And can I just tell you, thank you for coming. Really, thank you for showing respect to your mom and dad and your grandparents. Really, like we're glad that you're here. But listen, they're right. They're right. You need to be here, not because of church attendance, but because of the gospel that we're going to proclaim to you. You need to be here because what you seek It's not some form of religion. It's not something that you need to read or something that you need to do. It's not something else to add to your life. No, it's understanding that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, died in your place, rose from the grave, and he's coming back again. That's what you need to know. And somehow, that gospel, believing that gospel, will heal you in the places that nothing else can heal. Nothing else can fix. But we hear from God's word that the word of the cross, the message of the cross, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the very power of God. Why is it so hard to hear? You know, why, why is it a message that people see as foolish? I, and I want to make sure you understand this. I, I'm not saying you think that everything about the Bible is foolish. I believe it's very possible that you say, man, I line up with a lot of things about the Bible. The golden rule, I like the golden rule. If people live by the golden rule, it'd be a better world. Some of you probably think that and good, good for you. You're right. It'd be a lot better world. Some of you probably have some Proverbs, some Psalms, something that you, know, you heard growing up, something that you've known all your life that you say, man, that's something that we need to live by and know. That's, this is good for us. For some of you, maybe you have heard about the life of Jesus. You've seen the life of Jesus. Maybe you grew up in church and you know all of the shortcomings of God's people. And so you said, I don't need them, but I respect Jesus Christ and his work. Maybe feeding the poor, maybe pursuing those that nobody else would pursue. That's something that you appreciate. But when it comes to the Christian gospel, When it comes to the word of the cross, there is directly connected to it this, 
that you have a problem and I have a problem. It's that we are sinners and our sin will be punished and we can't do anything about it. That's what's hard to hear. Hope is found, according to scriptures, in one place. It's in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We have a problem that we can't fix and it is worse than we actually think it is. I want you to know that today you will hear this proclaimed. Your sin is so bad and my sin is so bad that Christ Jesus had to die on the cross in my place. But yet at the very same time, I am so loved and you are so loved that Jesus Christ, he died in our place. Let's go back to our story. What's happening now with this guy Naaman? Look at verse two in 2 Kings chapter five. We learn that the Syrians on one of their raids, they'd carried off a little girl. And so this is a little girl that was taken captive from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who's in Samaria. He would, look at this, he will cure him, he would cure him of his leprosy. So this sweet little girl, she's been removed from her home and her family and her land. And uh, she is working with Naaman's wife. And I think we see in this, Naaman is probably such a good guy. And she is probably such a great woman that this girl loves being with them. And she cares about them. And she cares about Naaman's sickness. And she says, if he could just, if he could just be with, if he could get to the prophet who's in Samaria, he could be cured of his leprosy. Naaman, obviously, at least part desperate, he goes to his king and he asks him, he tells him what the girl said and he asks, can he go? And the king allows him to leave. There's there's just all kinds of faith that is connected to this, but he's going to leave and he's going to go to the king of Israel. Real quick, I'm going to give you just something that you wouldn't get while you're reading. I'm going to help you out a little bit, teach you for a second. The reason why he would go to the king is not just because he's in some high position. And he says, high position people have to go to other high position people to get help. That, that's not necessarily the case at all. Could be. But what it appears to be is this, is that if you read and you understand the, the times, you understand what was going on in Syria, you understand what was going on in other parts of the world during this time, that the kings would employ prophets of their gods, okay? And to clarify, we only believe there's one God, the God of the Bible, the God of Israel. That, that's, that's who we believe. But in Syria, Naaman would have known that they had gods that they would have called to. And the king, he would have been the one that employed prophets. And so when this girl says, you need to go to the prophet, he believes I got to go to the king, okay? And so it looks like he's actually going to the right place. Let's, let's read about the next part here. Look, look with me at, uh, actually look with me at point number two there in your outline before we read anymore. I, I want you to see that like Naaman, the message of the cross 
gives good news to people like us. He received good news in the Bible, in the message of the cross, we receive good news of hope to the helpless and hopeless. We're told in the scriptures that though we are helpless to save ourselves from our sin, that God has not left us without hope. We have a message of good news. That's what we refer to as the gospel. Gospel means good news. I want to tell you a little bit about the gospel. In the scriptures, the the message of the cross, because of the work of Jesus on the cross, the message of it, who you could wake up this morning seeing it as foolish. I want you to know that because of Christ's death in our place and his resurrection to give us life, we have good news. The gospel of forgiveness. We have good news of being forgiven, that we can be forgiven of all of our sin by believing in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We have the gospel of God's grace that though nobody, though none of us deserve it, even while we were against God, even when we were ignorant of his work, even when we attempted to live our life without him, even then, he loved us and he sent his son to die in our place. We have not only the gospel of forgiveness and grace, but the gospel of adoption, the, the gospel of family in the kingdom of God, that in Christ, we're not just forgiven of our sins, but we're made to be a part of God's family. We're brought in, we're welcomed, we're accepted. We're given the gospel of life, even in the shadow of death. Like we have the gospel, the good news that we can live even when we die, that in Christ, no matter what, we live. We have the gospel, what we're celebrating today, the resurrection. That because Jesus Christ rose from the grave, we too who are in Christ will one day rise. Man, some of you like that. What good news like this should feel to you today? Like if you have a body that's sick, that's in pain, that's not getting better, it's just getting worse. This is good news for you. One day the Lord will raise you up and give you a body that'll never fail. No more pain. We'll be given a body that won't grow sick, never suffer. Listen to this, there's a gospel, good news of heaven, good news of an eternity with the Lord, with what the Bible tells us. Listen, it's the most relevant message in the world, okay? That there's a day through the work of Christ given to his people and experienced on this earth, a day with no tears, no cancer, no anger, no racism, no rape, no selfishness, no depression, no anxiety, no evil. There's no death. That day's promised to God's people. That's good news for people who are helpless to save themselves and hopeless without this gospel. Those that can't help themselves, the message of the cross shows us a God who will help you who can help us to a people who are hopeless. The message of the resurrection brings only hope into our lives who believe. So back to Naaman. Look with me there in verse five, as we follow what he does, he's on his way to the king. And it says, so he went taking with him 10 talents of silver, 
6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothing. Okay, there, what that means, I'll give you Duncanville language. That's a whole bunch of stuff, okay? That's a lot of money and that's a lot of clothes. And he's rolling into town with all of it, okay? Like this guy's got it. And he comes to town bringing what he has. In verse six, it says, and he brought the letter to the king. So he's got a recommendation letter, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And so the king is reading this letter and he does not respond as a man of faith. Listen to how he responds. It says, and when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God? To kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. The king thinks that this is a mean joke. Like keep in mind, they're opposing armies right now. Like the, the Syrians had just defeated the Israelites. And now we have the commander is coming to the king, asking for help. Like he thinks this is a mean joke. Like I'm not gonna have a way for you to be healed and then y'all are just gonna beat me up and take my stuff. Like, like that's what he thinks. Like he is really scared here. He forgets about the prophet. He doesn't think about Elisha. He's just thinking about himself. But verse eight tells us, But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you turned your clothes? Let him come to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. I think this is important to note. I didn't didn't say this very clearly in in the first service, but it's very important to notice what Elisha says. He doesn't say so that he may know that I can heal him. He doesn't even say that he may know that God can heal him. He says that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel, that one that God speaks to and speaks his word is here, that God's word rests in Israel. That's what he's saying, that there's hope found in his word. Verse nine says, so Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And so you can kind of get this scene in your head. I don't know what Elisha's house was like, but I, I imagine it was, you know, not the, the greatest of places to live. He's a prophet of a defeated people in Israel currently. So probably a pretty small place. And you've got this like entourage coming. We've got gold and silver and clothes, and we've got horses and chariots. We've got servants. We've got guards. We've got all of this. And they come up before his house to go to the front door and knock on it. He's here. He's the place where the little girl said, this is where you can be cured. Let's see what happens. We're told in verse 10, and Elisha sent a messenger to him. Elisha doesn't even get up. He's on the couch still. He sends a messenger to him. He don't even come look at it. And the messenger comes to the door and says, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, the Jordan River. Go wash seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. He finally gets here and the prophet doesn't even come. The prophet just sends the word and says, go get in the river seven times. And when you come up the last time, your 
Leprosy will be gone. You'll be cured. Let's pause on this story and once again, let's enter our own. I want you to see number three, that like Naaman, we have before us proclaimed from the scriptures the way to be healed. The word of God proclaims that our healing comes to us. Here it is. By grace, through faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That our healing comes to us by grace through faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see like Naaman, our healing, and look at those last three uh, bullet points there, that our healing is unexpected, it's free, and it's better than we could ever imagine. That like Naaman, our healing is unexpected, it's free, and it's better than we can ever imagine. Let's look at our healing as unexpected. Look with me there at verse 11. It says, but Naaman, after hearing this, go get in the water, go under seven times. It says, but Naaman was angry and he went away saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord, his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. And he says, are there not rivers back where I live? Can I not just get in those if that was the case? Like, this is a joke. There's no way that this is the way for me to be healed. And Naaman stomps off, stomps off and he is mad. Says he turned away and went away in rage. See, it was unexpected. Like, he thought there would surely be a different way. If he was to be healed, it would happen a different way than this. And I feel like this applies so well to us. Listen to me. Whether you agree with me or not, listen to this statement. Our default, our default as people is to wake up in the morning longing for hope, but looking for it in the wrong places. Like you don't have to do anything to somehow know that you're not what you could be or ought to be or that the world's not what it could be or ought to be. You know that. And you wake up longing for hope, thinking that you need something else, thinking that there's gotta be more. And yet we go and look for it in the wrong direction. We even take good things and we try to make them satisfy us to bring fulfillment and they can't. We overwant things. We can have a great family. We, we can have a great job. We can have a great education. We can have money and we can take those things and put them on a pedestal thinking this will complete my life. And they don't. I try to be clear about this. I love my family. My, my wife and uh, one of my children, are, they're in here right now. And listen, my, my wife is a wonderful wife, but she is a terrible God. A terrible God. My kids are wonderful children, but they're terrible gods. If I put them on a pedestal and think they will complete my life, they're what I need. Man, that's just another example of me longing for hope and yet looking for it in the wrong places. What we tell you is this, is a gospel, a good news that makes sense out of all of your life. Not just parts of it. 
It makes my family make sense. It makes my marriage make sense. It makes a job make sense. It makes money make sense. It takes things and puts them in the appropriate perspective. And Jesus at the center of it all, and it all makes sense. But for you today, if you came into this room and you said, man, I've got a problem, but what I need will be found in church attendance. You're wrong, my friend. You're wrong. It'll come from our vision statement. It'll come by you knowing God, finding community in his people and living on his mission. Like Naaman, our healing is unexpected. I think some of you listen. If the thought, and I've had this before, it's not just you that you think if I could just do better, read more, get back in church, stop that addiction, if I could just change. The job is what I need, family is what I need, but surely not belief in a gospel, in a good news. Surely that can't be it. I want you to know that like name and our healing comes to us and it's unexpected. Secondly, our healing comes to us free. It comes to us free. This is my favorite part in the story because it really is shocking. Naaman comes with silver and gold. He comes with clothes. He isn't at the end of this story. In, in the happy ending part, he still is going to go back to Elisha and try to pay him. And Elisha says, you can't pay me for this. God did it. It's free. Katie, if you will, will you, can you bring up the uh, verse 13 for me? We're actually going to look at this part in a different, I'm reading on an ESV, but I absolutely adore the uh, NASB, the New American translation here and also a couple others. So we're going, we're going to use that for, for this. But I, I want you to see Naaman's reaction. So as he is heading off, ready to go back home, he's angry, he's mad. He's probably settling into a life of having leprosy. Like he, he is uh, angry. He feels hopeless again. They're heading off and this statement is gonna let us in, I think a little bit to what Naaman was thinking, but it tells us a lot about those that were with him. It says, then his servants, they came near and they spoke to him and they said, my father. That, that, that should be something, when we read that, we should understand this is, these are people who care about Naaman. This is, a, this is kind language. And I think like Naaman, many of you, and I fit right into this, we have people in our life who they're encouragers like these guys are to him. People in our life that they speak to us and say, oh, my son, my child, my friend, my coworker, whoever you are, would you just consider this again? Would you think about this one more time? Look at the language, my father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? 
Like if he would have asked you to do something awesome, if he would have asked you to fight or do something great, come back with blood on your hands. If you could have done something, some great work, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says, simply wash and be clean. Will you not do that, Naaman? And we hear no argument from Naaman. We hear no defense. No wall comes up anymore. All we see is a man who goes humbly into the water seven times. And look at what it says. Verse 14. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became like that, became clean like that of a young boy. It says, then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, listen to this. Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. I want you to know that for us, the message of the cross, the word of the cross, that though we may have walked in here with it seeming foolish to us, I want you to know that by God's grace, as we are being saved by it, it will become not foolishness, but the very thing that we cling most to in our life. It'll become wisdom and power. It'll become our hope. See, for us, it's not just unexpected and free, but listen, the message of the gospel, the, the biblical gospel. Guys, it's better than you could ever imagine. It's better than you can ever imagine. For some of you talking about Jesus is somewhat comical. Yeah, I know he was born, he died. I know Easter, he rose from the grave. <laughs> My friends, listen to me. I, I believe this with all of my heart that there is nothing in the entire world more relevant than what Jesus Christ has done, is doing, and will do. Nothing. The message that he brings into our life is one that's better than anything else you've ever heard. Every good story that you've ever enjoyed it is just a little shadow that points to the great story of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection and his coming again. There is no ending in the world sweeter than the ending of God's word. It's an ending that becomes a new beginning. It's a, it's a time when not only are we forgiven, not only are we welcomed into his family, not only does our, will our bodies one day not be all messed up and get hurt and can be broken and become sick. One day we will with Christ live with him forever in a world that is only love, light, and life, period. A place of perfection. The place that you've always longed for, that you only get a little glimpse of it when you're with God's people. It's a perfect kingdom. It's better than we could ever imagine. See, the problem that we have, we've already stated this, listen, it's far greater than we even think it is. But I want you to know that his grace 
is so much deeper. His healing is so much sweeter. There is not a person in this room whose sin is too great for the depth of God's grace. I don't care how long you've rejected. I don't care where you've gone. I don't care where you are currently. I'm telling you that by believing the gospel of Jesus, that he died in your place, he rose from the grave and he will one day come back again. By believing that message, looking, receiving that message, that Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my savior. Listen to me. In believing that, you only have hope. And it is free. It comes to us by grace. It comes to us through faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Today, the way that we're going to respond, it's a little different. I'm going to ask our musicians, if you would, to come up. And I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Keith Pugh if you would join me up in the front. And here's what we want to do. I believe one of the greatest ways that we can respond to the work of God in our lives is simply this, to come and pray, to come and ask for prayer. I don't know where you are. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what's going on in your head even now, but I know this, I'll pray over you. And so as we respond, let's respond to the Lord by asking for prayer for wherever we are. On this Easter Sunday, know this, Jesus Christ is alive, that Jesus Christ is here. Jesus Christ can absolutely transform your life. Father, I ask that you would do a great work. 